You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. Um, And we've got a lot of emails to get through, but of course we're going to leave those to the end of the episode because what are we going to talk about tonight, guys? What are we talking about tonight? Um, Oh, the name. (laughs) We're going to be talking about the name of the Doctor. Jeff. That was my guess. Word. (laughs) Can we go back and start this again? <laughs> Only kidding. Well, all right. None of us have said a word to any of the others what we thought about this, have we? No. Nope. So, uh, I think we should rate it. I think we should rate it right now and then argue about what we think about it after. What do you think? Should we do that? Something Sounds a like bit a different? Plan. We can try. It, it might be all downhill <laughs> from there, but yes. <laughs> Okay, in that case, Simon, I'm coming to you for a rating no, don't come right to me now. First. Don't come to me Why? first. Just don't. Why? Just please don't. Okay, put Lee on and I'll come to him first. Oh, that's not fair. Oh, Gordon Bennett. Uh, okay, this is going to be a fluctuating score. <laughs> yeah, we'll rate it again at the end, but let's rate, rate it, it now. At the end. Okay. Oh, Gordon Bennett. It's so hard. Uh, between a six and a nine? <laughs> I don't okay. know. Hard. Well, give us a score, seven or an eight. Seven. Okay, Mark. I will give that an eight. And Simon. It's a ten. Whoa, what? <laughs> and from me, another eight. Did he just say ten? Yeah, he did. So actually, and this is funny because you and Simon are sitting on the same sofa, Lee, uh, whereas me and Mark are elsewhere. And Mark and I have both given it the same score, which was somewhere in between yours and Simon's. So I think you and Simon should duke it out over who was right, (laughs) your seven or Simon's ten. I've already told him if he says anything nasty about this episode, I'm punching him in the arm. (laughs) Yeah, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. Okay then, Simon, you tell us why you think it was a 10. I thought it was about time I gave a 10. Oh, did you? Yeah. Well, that's as good a reason as any, isn't it? Well, just because I loved it. I loved it. And the little I've heard of other people talking about what they thought was flaws about it, I just didn't think mattered. Okay, let's bring up some of those flaws then and discuss whether we think they really are flaws, shall we? Okay. Because obviously you've read a bit on the internet, presumably, what people have been saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... We've had people moaning about these special effects where they've intercut the uh, old doctors well, in. Let's be honest. This is what it I mean. was either have them there looking like that or not have them there. Or exactly. What would you have done? I actually quite like the way that they've made her look like an old fuzzy videotape to fit mm. in with the old doctors. That did work. 
just yeah they did that on the Hartnell one some of the other ones not quite so much but then some of the other mm. ones didn't need it quite so much did they well classic uh, who was built on shonky effects so it's kind of homage to that but it wasn't and, sh- it wasn't shonky um let, let's face it it's illustrating the point we're never going to get it where it looks realistic so yeah. the most it needs to do is illustrate the point that she was there interacting with the doctors. And if somebody, fairness, wa- I thought the Hartnell footage looked really good. Yeah, actually, it looked the best of all of them. Really, I think mm. it, the eighties footage looked the most wonky with her in it. And um, I, I don't know. It's about time people just sort of suspended their disbelief and and just just go with it. Go with what it, what the story's trying to say. It's trying to illustrate a point, which is that she was interacting with the doctors at these different points. And if somebody wants to turn around and goes, oh, but it looked a bit ropey, so I didn't, I didn't believe it. I just think, well, that's fine. Just get on with it. Yeah, that, Funnily yeah, enough. Hang on, can uh, I just say that that would have been me? So is that a punch in the arm already or what? Ow! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I haven't really noticed anybody making that complaint. Really? I've not read a lot on it, though. Uh, I tend not to read too much. Especially before we do a podcast or before I write the review. I usually write the review before I've read anybody else's thoughts at all. Mm. So, But I, uh, you know, I tend not to take a great deal of notice. If I like something, I like it. And if I don't, I don't. And that's not going to be down to whether other people like it, is it? No. I mean, I think this is this is essentially my point, is I went with my gut on it. I didn't think too much about it. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I just think it was... It was the show is its most fantasy best. It was a fantasy story, and it, well, this and is it just f- worked in my <clears> head. This, this is the funny thing, Stephen Moffat. Yeah, it was kind of a fantasy, but you know, Stephen Moffat has done this thing that I don't think people really appreciate, where he's taken some kind of hard science fiction ideas and some fairy tale ideas like complete fantasy ideas and married the two together in a way that makes perfect sense the bit where they come to the tomb and they find the doctor's corpse which is you know which is what they were talking about in nightmare and silver what they've basically got is this electronic thing happening in the middle of the room that is the gaps the doctor would leave behind if he were taken out of time you know like they were saying in nightmare and silver and there it is made flesh and it's a brilliant idea it's completely fantastical total fairy tale but at the same time it could almost make scientific sense couldn't it why 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 would you have <laughs> why would you have the doctor's uh, past future present all wrapped up in some beautiful crystalline angelic barbed wire flow it's not his future okay it's past then <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. Um, all wrapped up uh, in this thing, you know, for somebody to basically invade, walk into, take, jump into. Well, you can't get in there. Well, the, you're talking. We've got the TARDIS. Yes, is the as the tomb. That is the TARDIS we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Well, other things have got into the TARDIS before. Junk mail's got into the TARDIS. Uh <laughs> yes, but the TARDIS wasn't the door to the tomb. Um. No wasn't it? I can't remember. I've got to be honest, I've only seen it once and I've tried to keep my initial uh, response. Was, you should have watched it again because that was five days ago, no, Lee, no, no, and you've no, no, clearly... No, no, because I haven't looked at anybody's responses on, on the net either, so I'm go- I wanted to go with my, my, you know, my initial reaction. But don't worry, it gets better. Uh, right, but what I'm saying is you obviously can't remember the episode. <laughs> 
All right. So how did they get in? Is it a tomb door locked with his name? Is that right? Which is the code? Yes. Okay. Uh, and as the doctor's never this? given his name, then nobody can get into the tomb. Why can't they get into the tomb? What's it made out of? Uh, it's made out of, you know, whatever, Lee. <laughs> exactly my point. You know, if it's made it's... out of MDF, you're going to kick it in, aren't you? But I'm just... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is a bit too fantastical. Maybe I've been Star trek in my brain. I don't know. And I needed a few more explanations. It was beautiful, but it just didn't make much sense. Lee, I think you may have possibly passed through some sort of temporal portal because you're turning into Ian Levine and, and Ian Levine on the other hand came out and said it was the best piece of TV this millennium what <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well, I gave it a 10 but I wouldn't give it that much seriously but yeah Bless him. well yeah in his head and I just I thought it was great I mean was it as good as Doctor's Wife I don't know but it was it was different it was different again and all those people clamoring for having all the classic doctors in the 50th anniversary surely they must be happy with that now well it's, i was going to say it's almost like a precursor to that and if they don't appear in the special in any shape nor form it's not like they can com complain now is it because he's done it and it's, it's quite clever in that respect he's dropped a hint actually that they will be in the anniversary special as well mm -hmm. I, I I do like the way that he's he's used the uh, the past doctors in this, and I I think this is Jr. Land that we're in at the moment. Um, you this is right up your street, isn't it, Jr.? You love all the doctors being together and in a kind of strange cerebral way. Um, they're basically walking through the doctor's past now, and this is the perfect setup for the fiftieth. And even though I'm a bit, a bit down on lots of the episode, what really I I was excited about two parts of this uh, story. One, the beginning with Hartnell um, turning up and stealing the TARDIS because basically when I was growing up, I could have sworn I'd seen that scene and I hadn't. It's, I made up in my head and it was exactly as I envisaged it. So I, was, I nearly wet myself when I saw that. And the ending with John Hurt turning around, which really surprised me. I was not expecting it. And now I'm really excited about the 50th. But the stuff in between, I, I don't know. I'll probably give, give or take, really. Um, okay, let's go through some points, shall we? Um, Mark said all these people who wanted the Doctors in the 50th and had been moaning like Billy-O because, <laughs> you know, uh, they'd heard from various places that the Doctors weren't going to be in the 50th. Yes, we've had them now, so all those people can shut up. And if the Doctors do turn up in the actual anniversary special as well, then that's just the icing on the cake. But we have seen all the Doctors Happy. on screen in the 50th anniversary year, and that's enough for me. Ha have we seen all of them in this past episode? Was David yep, they Tennant's were all doctor? there. Really? Yep, David Tennant's Doctor was there, yeah. and so was Paul McGann, who was the one I missed. Ah, I'd have to go back and watch it. I did wonder at one point if David Tennant would not be in there, because he is definitely in the 50th anniversary special itself, but it was pointed out that he actually is in there. I, I, and I, I thought the same with Paul McGann. Uh, until, yeah, as you I, say, somebody pointed out there's the bit with... There's a shot, isn't there, where Paul McGann walks one way and Patrick Trown walks the other. Yeah. yeah. He's on the screen the briefest, though, Paul McGann, I think. Absolutely, yeah. That's definitely a blink and you'd miss it. But then, you know, maybe Paul McGann will be in the anniversary special. Yes. Even if just for a, a moment or two. So maybe that'll make up for that. Yeah, yeah. I need to have a, 
a decent nod to him, surely. The opportunity to yeah. have him in there would be... Well, I mean, it's up to them, and it's up to the story. But um, John Hurt, at the end, he turns around, and, you know, they're talking about something that John Hurt's doctor has done. That is, uh, to quote Matt Smith's doctor... <laughs> sorry, my table nearly collapsed. <laughs> it sounded like you were chopping cabbage. <laughs> no, that well. is... Um, but uh, Matt Smith's, you know... John Hurt's doctor is there because of something he has done. Uh, Matt Smith's doctor says to him, but not in the name of the doctor, which is why, presumably, which is why we're not counting the John Hurt incarnation. Mm. Uh, But earlier in the episode, there's a mention of the time war, right? When Mm. Richard E. Grant is talking to Matt Smith, he mentions the time war outright. Now, it's not like Stephen Moffat to do that, um, except maybe in stories where it's actually pertinent. But in a story where it's not actually pertinent, to have one of the characters mention the Time War, which was Russell T. Davis's big thing, mm-hmm. that's kind of unusual for Stephen Moffat. So I'm thinking, and Stephen Moffat's one of those writers who doesn't seem to do anything without a good reason. So, you know, if he's thrown a little bit of dialogue in, he's mentioned the Time War, and he's mentioned the Valyard, which... Yeah, Yeah, I spotted that straight away. I just thought, yeah, yeah, that's a nod to something. Well, Well, this is another case uh, of him subverting your expectations of the title. uh, Yes, but what I'm saying is, if he's mentioned the Valyard, he's mentioned the Valyard perhaps specifically because John Hurt's Doctor is going to be not the Valyard, but like the Valyard, in that he'll be a Doctor that doesn't really count, an alternative between the dimensions, between the incarnations Doctor, right? Which is what people suspect and what you can take from what he said at the end. Mm. And as um, Stephen Moffat also brought up the Time War, and that's got to be deliberate, then the other inference you've got to take, which seems obvious, but, you know, it bears repeating and the mention of the time war seems to consolidate it but if he's mentioned the time war and john hurt's talking about being between incarnations and having done something that's so terrible it can't be spoken about he's the doctor who locked the daleks and the time lords in that time lock isn't he mm-hmm. yeah i agree I mean, I that's... can i just yeah. can i just clarify something because i haven't seen it more than once um did the the the, the, the uh, chat between Matt Smith and John Hurt. Did we actually hear him say, "You are the Doctor"? No, that know? was the caption. That was the caption, right? So mm. I, I know this sounds a bit lame and a bit Star Wars, but could John Hurt not be a relative, a father, and the, the Doctor? No, 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 hang, no, wait, no, wait, wait, no. Wait, let me finish. Let me finish. And the Doctor is just the title handed down. No, 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 no. I don't think so. You're going to be eating your hat, mate, when it's right. <coughs> Why would the way he... I interpreted it was that when he leaves Gallifrey at the very beginning, he takes on this persona of the Doctor. We all know that's not his name. And then you've got all these other iterations of the Doctor, and this guy does something so utterly bad that he can't take on that mantle. He can't be the Doctor. Let's, th- let's look at the title of the episode. The answer's there. The name mm. of the Doctor. And that was the nice trick. It wasn't the name of the Doctor. Everyone got obsessed with it. Oh, my God, they're going to say what the name of the Doctor is. It's not. Well, you it's knew about that was never going to happen. the name of the Doctor. It's behaving yeah, yeah. in the name of the Doctor. And that is that is the point he's making, is that this That's incarnation yeah, did not 
behave in the name of the doctor as a healer, yeah. as somebody who helps people. And it's almost like um, it's a psychological thing. Um, I imagine it's like somebody, somebody with a split personality where the doctor literally has locked away this part of himself that he doesn't want to face anymore because he's done this horrible thing. And his way of dealing with that is saying, well, he's not the doctor. I'm the doctor. He's the doctor. And in that, he can shut it off and forget about it. So, And he comes out and then the doctor after this one, which should be the 10th, because, you know, you have to assume that Paul McGann regenerated into John Hurt and subsequently John Hurt regenerated into Christopher Eccleston. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we saw either one or both of those things in the 50th anniversary special itself. Maybe that'll be how they use Paul McGann, just show the regeneration. But if, you know, Paul McGann's regenerated into John Hurt and John Hurt's regenerated into Christopher Eccleston, then he is the same person. And as you say, Simon, it is because... Uh, what he did was so terrible, and this will be the end of the Time War, almost certainly, I'd have thought, that Christopher Eccleston's Doctor, being the 10th incarnation, then comes out and says, I'm the 9th incarnation, <sighs> so that the real 9th incarnation can be completely forgotten. And I'll go further than that, mm. and going back to what you were saying, Lee, it's not going to be that. No, because it's just a speculation. You don't reincarnate... You don't regenerate into your dad. No, 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 no. No, I didn't say that. I so on and so forth. You know, if, no, if but you that's ha- what I'm if saying. Car- if you're, I don't know, uh, let's say, take an example of, say, somebody who's a smithy, right? Uh, the, the son of a smithy gets called smithy, and then eventually your name becomes smith, doesn't it? It's the same with doctor. It's a title. It can be a title. Yeah, it but it's be not down. because these are regenerations. Yeah. They're not different people. They're the same person. Well, we don't know that yet. So it's not handed from one person to another. It's handed from one person to the same person. And this will be an incarnation of that person who is, and by his own choice, is not allowed to use that name because what he did was so terrible. Okay, hang on a minute. Let's just go back a bit. So you're saying he's the eight and a half doctor, right? No, he's the ninth doctor. Oh, whatever. But um, so all that time that David Tennant said, I pushed the button, it was me. And Christopher Eccleston saying, you know, I wiped everybody out and people were caught in the wake and it's my fault. But it can't be his fault if he's decided he's not going to be calling himself the Doctor in that incarnation that he's trying to. Doesn't stop him from being the same person. Okay, so he's brought out by the Time Lords to fight in the Time War, rather like the Master was kind of offered lots of regenerations in the Five Doctors. No, Lee, Lee, Lee. What? You're going what? down. What? You're going down. Imagine I'd, if it had been Sylvester imagined. McCoy. Right. Listen. Instead of. Talking, listen, imagine if Sylvester McCoy's doctor had been the one who fought in the Time War and as a result of that, he had been disallowed from using the name of the doctor and subsequent to that, you had Colin Baker as the sixth doctor and Paul McGann as the seventh doctor with Sylvester McCoy as the forgotten doctor. So what we're saying is Paul McGann is the eighth doctor and Christopher Eccleston is actually the tenth impersonation of the Doctor, with John Hurt as the ninth, but John Hurt is the forgotten Doctor, so Christopher Eccleston has taken on the number of the ninth, even though he is actually the tenth. Okay, all I was trying to think of is how this was going to happen, or has happened, and the only way I can think of is that the Valyard, I presume, if I remember right, 
was uh, between 12th and 13th regeneration. I can't remember whether it's the uh, Time Lords themselves that, that created the Valyard out of the, out of the badness of the between regenerations of the Doctor. Didn't I'm sure that's the, what happened. Then surely they can do exactly the same. They're fighting a Time War, they need the Doctor on their side, and they need to really get this guy toughened up, so they produce John Hurt from him. What well, do you that's think? a... That's potential, but I don't think that's the case because of the dialogue at the end of this episode. Okay. I did like the, I did like the cheesy movie look to the camera, though, from John Hurt. That was good. The, because the dialogue at, this end of the, at the end of the episode does not suggest that John Hurt is any kind of an alternative to being a Doctor. No, because The he's... dialogue at the end says, almost says outright, he is an incarnation that did happen. He's there in the Doctor's Nexus. I call it a nexus because it's just like that bit yeah. of Generations, isn't it? It's the, with the only FX. thing is he doesn't use the name. It'd be like, it would be like, okay, Lee, take this as an analogy. Imagine that you were a bigamist and with one family, you're Lee Rawlings, but because you don't want to get caught out, you tell the other family your name is Peter Smith. God, how do you know? Right. So if you're having a whole existence as Peter Smith, that doesn't stop you actually being Lee Rawlings. It just means that in that existence, in that part of your life, you're calling yourself Peter Smith. Now, John Hurt's doctor is not calling himself the doctor. He's calling himself, we don't know what, maybe oh, no, Peter Smith. I don't think that at all. I think he's called himself the doctor. But Matt Smith's issue with that, or the, te the 11th Doctor's issue with that, is that he didn't behave in the name of the Doctor. He didn't behave how he was expected to behave. <clears throat> no, 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 because it's also pointed out, I mean, it, it's, or it's there to infer that he was an incarnation. Oh, well, I see, I take your point. I see what you're saying. What you're saying is, yes, he was the Doctor while he was the Doctor, but since he was the Doctor, he has had his name discounted, as it were. Yeah. He says to Clara... He's me, but he's not the Doctor. Yeah, which is after the fact, because mm. that wouldn't happen until after John Hurt's Doctor had done the thing that stops it, the time war, right? It's denial. Up until... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if John Hurt's Doctor is the one who causes the end of the time war, right? Up until that moment, he is using the name of the Doctor and, you know, doing Doctorish things. And it's only the incarnation that comes afterwards... And who real, uh, you know, who who makes the proclamation that what his previous incarnation did was so bad and so hideous it must be forgotten, that he puts that to one side and says, right, that incarnation is not the Doctor, and I am nine instead of ten. Okay, so we assume that John Hurt's Doctor uh, did the most atrocious thing, which was basically set the time war. Um, in motion or finish the time war by pressing the finish button. Finish the time okay, war, so, not set it in motion. So he's committed genocide, basically, yeah? Well, he's not committed genocide. He didn't kill anybody. He time-locked them all. Yeah, but there was a... a well, I'm just trying to... Th most of... Couched in Russell T. Davis's terms, that's genocide, but then Russell T. Davis no, no, no. described the Dr. Donner as a death. Okay, so the... All right, so the time war wasn't the Doctor's fault, then? No, 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 that goes back to way lock. back when. Right, but he wiped out yeah, the Daleks. We're talking about time lock. Pardon? He wiped out the Daleks. Um, maybe. I think that's debatable because we don't actually okay. know how in, the time in, war in, finished. In his head, he thought he wiped out the Daleks because when he comes across the Dalek, yeah. he says, oh, you're still alive then. So, yes, but so that's, that's genocide. Prior to, that's prior to us finding out about the time lock. Right. And in all that time, in Russell T. Davis's writing, 
to commit genocide or to kill is not necessarily the same thing because Russell T. Davis will write something and describe it as a death even if it's only a change in personality or a change in state. So David Tennant's doctor, or no, Christopher Eccleston's doctor might describe what he did to the Daleks and couch it in terms of genocide, but what he really might be referring to is simply time-locking them out of existence. Well, that's not that bad, is it? Well, the point is, if you time-lock two entire species out of existence, that's you may not have killed them, but as far as the rest of the universe is concerned, that's exactly the same thing. Okay. But he did, um, he did destroy Scarrow. Well, we saw Scarrow in Asylum of the Daleks. It's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't get stuck on the technicalities of the time, Lee. Just that John Hurt's Doctor is the one who performed the final act of the time I, war. I imagine it's a bit like um, there's that line that Christopher Eccleston says about watching them burn, and that's the way I see it. I think it's it's some kind of destructive thing, I think. Well, the time lock itself is destructive. Mm. Mm. Even if it doesn't actually kill anybody, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's like if you have been locked in isolation, you know, until the day you die. If you spend 40 years in you know, uh, an isolation cell with no contact with anybody else whatsoever. Imagine how bad that is. Now, this is essentially what we're saying that the Doctor has done to two entire species. Mm. Mm. Anyway, back to the episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting discussion. It was, yeah. Uh, mm. I but I the think the cast were fantastic think, right across uh, the board in this one. It's, yeah, they were. They were. It was very, very good. Um, I thought Alex Kingston. I think if that's the final time I'm pretty to sure see River Song, be. I think that is a really good way to send her off. Well, it's uh, apart from the fact that we see her grave, and in Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who, seeing the grave is kind of a signal that the character, even if they're not dead at the point you see the grave, it's kind of a signal that the character's done in the series mm. terms um and the other thing there is that it is the post-death river song that we see and she does say oh there is that conversation between her and the doctor about him saying how come you're still hanging on you know you should only have been in that sort of post-death dream state in the library for you know a short amount of time and now here you are still hanging on and she's saying because you never said goodbye properly and so he says goodbye properly and pretty much you can put a full stop on river song there and then can't you i think so yeah definitely yeah. i think it's a really nicely written scene very yeah. well acted yeah. oh and it, the kiss as well out of all the kisses we've seen between them that's the one that felt the most genuine and the most yeah, heartfelt I've got to say that that kiss out of all of them uh, or any Doctor Who kiss ever was the best one because not only was it brilliant it was brilliantly written up to the point where he kissed her and I actually felt a bit of a twinge of a ooh you know and uh, at the end of the kiss there was that fantastic line where he said well nobody else can see you in the room I hate to think what that looked like was just had me in stitches beautifully written brilliantly acted and very believable uh, the nice shot of the Paternoster gang or menagerie à trois as I like to call them <laughs> in the background and Strax's face as a picture oh, that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> so Simon you gave it 10 but it's Strax Strax is in it 
Yeah, and he was at his best. And um, yeah, maybe I've softened to him. <laughs> I don't want anyone thinking I'm making excuses for this episode uh, for the sake of it, because I'm not. I just feel like it all worked. The tone of it worked um, and everything gelled. And, and I'm hearing a few people saying that certain things didn't make sense. And it all makes there's a, All right. If there's going to be one thing that doesn't make sense to me, it's quite how the great intelligence getting absorbed into the doctor's time stream thing uh, manifested itself and how was that negated by Clara going in apart from her actually going in and knocking him out of the way but hello you have to kind of yeah. exactly which uh, is why I say it's a fantasy episode and you kind of think no it does negate because it's a positive and a, and a minus and the two cancel each other out so it does exactly yeah. if you're going to look at it in sort of scientific and technical terms it's like introducing a poison into the bloodstream and then introducing the antidote immediately afterwards they cancel one another out so why didn't the doctor cancel clara out remind me because if the great intelligence is the poison and clara is the antidote the doctor's not another poison lee oh okay sorry I didn't know whether the Doctor's time stream could kind of differentiate between good and evil things and cancelling out stuff. I'm looking too deep well, into it. Well, it's not the time I'm stream I'm looking too that's... deep into it. I want the chemical the... formula. It's not the time stream that's doing the differentiating, is it? The great intelligence is going in, and the great intelligence is the one who is, um, you know, doing something, having a positive effect. I don't. When I say a positive effect, I don't mean a beneficial effect. But I mean the the great intelligence has gone in there and is actively doing things. And then Clara goes in and actively does things to counteract the active things that the great intelligence has done. Got it. So if you want to look at it in abstract terms, the great intelligence goes in as a poison. Mm -hmm. Clara goes in as an antidote mm -hmm. and wipes the poison out. And when the doctor comes in afterwards, that's like that little fisheye thing mm. on the end of a little metal rod that somebody sticks up your ass just to make sure everything's cleared <laughs> up. Beautifully described. I totally understand now. Thank you. <laughs> what I didn't get, if there's anything not to get, is where that final scene took place. Can anybody enlighten me? No, again, it's that whole fantasy thing it's um sim uh, i is yeah symbolic? My, i don't know what's the word well um i what i took from that was that they are still in the doctor's mind essentially yeah, so the john yeah so the john hurt they see is not actually the ninth doctor or the eight and a half whatever you want to call him the real ninth doctor but he is an interpretation of him from within the Doctor's mind. A memory, in other words. So, um, I don't know whether this cliffhanger is going to lead straight into the next episode. And if it does, then we're going to have to start the next episode with the Doctor and Clara extracting themselves. And my question, therefore, and this is not going to be answered for six months, so this is basically me just talking to myself. I wonder if they're going to bring John Hurt out with them. And I'm assuming not, because the Doctor and Clara actually physically went in, whereas John Hurt's a memory, yeah. so he's not actually physically in there. So I'm just wondering if they come out and, you know, maybe Clara says to the Doctor, right, you need to clear this up right now, you need to give that guy his dues, you need to save him from being a forgotten memory, because what he actually did was important and good, and in the overall picture of things, beneficial, he should not be forgotten. And, you know, the other thing about that is he should not be forgotten 
What has Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who been about for the last three years? It's all been about memories, about forgetting things, about remembering things. This hasn't just come in with Clara and her run you clever boy and remember. This has been right from the very start. Series 5 was all about uh, Amy building up a bank of memories about the Doctor so that when he disappears into his own time stream at the end, uh, you know, repeated tropes and all that, she can remember him back out of it. Well, you know, we've got a repeat of that now, haven't we? Where they're going to have to remember John Hurt's Doctor back out of being forgotten. And I will add one more thing to that as well. As soon as I'm here and... That is that it would not surprise me because Stephen Moffat is canny Scott because everything's branded with Eccleston as the ninth and Tennant as the 10th and Smith as the 11th. It would not surprise me if A, at the end of the anniversary special, John Hurt's doctor has been given his dues, but in order to solve whatever peril there is in that episode... He then subsequently has to be properly erased from time, which would mean that Eccleston would be the ninth and not the pretender to the ninth, and so on and so forth, so that, being the canny Scott that he is, the BBC don't have to rebrand everything, which would obviously piss everybody off no end. And the other thing is... um, Oh, I almost forgot what I was going to say. Uh, the other thing is... It'll come back to me in a minute. Somebody say something else in the meantime. Uh, now. I can just imagine how the casual viewer, if they are watching this and they're saying, well, he's the eight and a half. No, he's actually the real ninth. Uh, hang on a minute. Who's what? When? Well, it d- this depends on how you write it. If you write it and make it clear enough... I mean, Stephen Moffat has written some pretty esoteric stuff in some of those stories. The girl, you know who thinks she's a girl but is actually a Dalek or you know the doctor's entire life in the form of a sort of electronic helix made out of lightning Stephen Moffat writes some pretty esoteric stuff and he gets away with it because he makes it clear enough for a general audience to understand so if he's going to write John Hurt in as the real ninth doctor he'll he'll do it and he'll get away with it it sounds like that um, if John Hurt gets erased out of existence altogether, um, then the time war will never have ended and therefore it will be carrying on. Yes, we get to see it. Well, uh, you may... Well, no, I don't think you will, but it may be... I don't think Stephen Moffat's going to fully address the time war in this episode, but I do think that by John Hurt being in it, he's going to have to address it in some fashion. And I just wonder if John Hurt's doctor may end up getting time-locked inside the time war, in which case, you know, that's how he's taken out of time and Eccleston can carry on as a ninth. The other thing I was going to say was, um, even if John Hurt's doctor is, you know, erased from time at the end of this story, uh, that will still mean that in as far as nature is concerned... Matt Smith is still the 12th. Even if he's Doctor number 11, he's still the actual 12th incarnation of the Doctor, which means that at the end of Matt Smith's story, and I'm assuming there's every possibility that Matt Smith's last adventure will be Stephen Moffat's last adventure, and I've always said that I think Stephen Moffat's entire tenure is going to be one long story arc, but I'm wondering if Matt Smith is indeed the twelfth incarnation of the Doctor, if that very last story will be the Valiard. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) 
let, let, well, he's always been called the 11th, hasn't he? Because it's always been about the fall he's of the 11th. He's been called the 11th in the same way as apparently John Hurt's doctor isn't called the doctor. No. Mm. So calling him the 11th doesn't actually necessarily make him the 11th. And when I say as far as nature's concerned, what I'm saying is if he's the 12th body and the Valiard is due to appear after the 12th body, then, you know, it doesn't make any difference what he calls himself. He is the 12th body. Can I just sorry say something about Trenzalore while I'm here? Uh, <laughs> on the, on the, yeah. Are you changing the subject? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Trenzalore. Okay, so Dorian knew about Trenzalore. Uh, who else knew about Trenzalore and where the Doctor was buried? I don't think we've seen the last of Trenzalore, no. and not by a long shot. Okay, that's all right then. Um, because I would have said there were a think... load of trophy hunters hanging outside, <laughs> waiting for a bit of the Doctor. Um well, not necessarily, because, you know, you have to consider that one per once a person is dead and in their ground, their grave is going to be there for infinity. So, you know, at what point are these trophy hunters going to turn up? Are they just going to sit and wait there for infinity? Because, you know, the Doctor and the Great Intelligence's visit to the Doctor's grave in that episode could be at any point, any number of... It could be weeks after the Doctor's died, it could be months, it could be millennia, it could be eons. Good point. Uh, so I don't have a problem with that. Let's face it, the, the tomb is protected anyway. I mean, the whole River Song grave, everything, all of that, it's all protected. So Yeah. Uh, sorry? How is it protected? It's protected because it can only be owned by the Doctor's name, no. and he was the only one, supposedly, who knew it, apart from River. Well, River's, River's dead, yeah. and she's only there as a mental project, projection, so, so nobody would yeah, have been not... able to get the name from her other than the person she was, or, or, you know, because the person she was mentally projecting through was there. So the only person who can open the Doctor's grave is the Doctor. And I think people have missed this point. But the Doctor can't open the Doctor's grave because, you know, the Doctor is dead inside the grave. Do you know what? And yeah. this is why it's the last place. When he says it's the last place on the uni in the universe you should visit, he doesn't mean it's the last place you ought to visit. He means it's the last place you can visit. And it's only because this is a particularly special occasion insofar as, you know, it's a rescue mission or whatever, but it's been the great intelligence has brought him to this that he has come here now. You know, the TARDIS doesn't want to get him there. It makes a big deal out of not taking him there. Mm. Do you know, I could have sworn he said the word ace and then the door opened. I misheard that. What did he... Please. He, he didn't please. say anything. Please, did he? Oh, it sounded like ace and I thought, what a strange... Well, it wasn't him who said anything. He didn't open it, did he? No, but he said something and then the doors opened. Obviously, but, yeah. River said something. He says please he says, to the great please, intelligence but it sounded, just to as the me, door it sounded opens. like ace and I went, ace? Why would it be ace? <laughs> Um, well, the only other people she, who would know is because sorry, uh, because Ace always called him Professor, which is in fact his real name. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only other person who would know his name, obviously, is another Time Lord, and they're all locked away. Which brings me to, um, I don't necessarily think this is a, a good idea, but I suppose the potentials there is a side effect of this other Doctor coming out of existence or being placed out of um, is to show flashbacks. From when the time war was happening, or possibly Gallifrey to make to come back. I, ho I, I don't it, think. I hope it yeah. doesn't. But yeah, no. Yeah, I don't think Stephen Moffat will, because I get the impression he rather likes it being locked away. Mm. Mm. 
He, although Russell T. Davis did, and he brought it back for one episode. So, you know, you can't say it's not impossible. Maybe Stephen Moffat will think, yes, I will do my one Gallifrey episode. We'll bring time... We'll bring uh, the time... We'll open the time... Open the time war and bring Gallifrey out just for one episode, just like Russell T. Davis did, and then it goes back in the box, and then the next guy can decide what he wants to do with it. Possibly... But I just don't see Stephen Moffat being that kind of a person. I'm actually surprised that he's addressing the Time War at all. Except insofar as that's perhaps an excuse to it's, do an episode that's about being the Doctor. It's the potential of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Maybe that's just the excuse he needed. You know, if you're going to do a anniversary special and an anniversary special has by its very nature to be inward looking and Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who's pretty inward looking anyway if you look at it all the other writers write stories in where uh, wherein the Doctor gets involved in an adventure that's happening to other people but the Stephen Moffat's episodes are almost always about the Doctor and the companions and they're very insular so Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who's already very inward looking but to do an anniversary special like last week's episode, The Name of the Doctor, is going to be even more inward-looking than before. So maybe this is the excuse he is looking for for the anniversary. Because he's already done The Name of the Doctor in a regular series, so the anniversary needs to go even further than that. So once you've already got Clara running through the Doctor's timelines and meeting all the previous Doctors, you really, really need an excuse then to go even further than that, don't you? So maybe, maybe it just is that Stephen Moffat says, OK, the Time War is that excuse. Uh, did you, do you think that they've stolen your idea, JR, about wandering through the Doctor's brain and meeting his past selves? Yeah, <laughs> I sent that to Stephen Moffat and he read it and patently that's what he's done. I hadn't even of thought course. of that, Lee. Uh, it didn't even occur to me until you said it just then. There you are. <laughs> Can I just ask, what do we all think of the idea of the um, communication that they had set up where they have these kind of Oh, the dream they... thing. I actually thought that I was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It's kind I, of in keeping with, because uh, at, at that period... People are obsessed with seances and that sort of thing. I thought it was yeah. kind of cool. It felt natural. And on top of that, if you're going to have something that's magical but needs a scientific explanation, then that is as close as you're going to get. You know what? It reminded me of the kind of science that was in things like The Evil of the Daleks, <laughs> where the Daleks do time travel through smoke and mirrors. It was that, <laughs> you know? And it was... It worked wonderfully well on screen, and the way they all went in and the way they all came out was so well shot by Saul Metstein. It just worked perfectly. The direction was very good in this yeah. film. It was. Uh, the, the table sequence was, was brilliant. The, I have one grumble and one brilliant thing that uh, I really I thought was fantastic. The brilliant thing was the moment when Jenny says, I think I've just been murdered, and you get a close-up of her eye with a tear running yeah. down. That was gorgeous. More filming like that, please. Um, and uh, the, the worst bit was that she said, oh, you've changed the desktop. I like the desktop change, but why would she use that word? Word, yeah. It's an inside joke, isn't it? Of course. <laughs> And Strax, well, it goes Strax back to having a it, fight with the goes, Scottish people. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. I wonder what the Scots thought of that. Oh yeah, that was funny. Now the uh, desktop thing is an inside joke, going back to Time Crash, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you know, that's just Stephen Moffat having a little fun with his own 
previous form, really. Uh, yes, it did sound a bit incongruous. And yes, I gave it a pass because, you know, it was a nice little reference and it made me think of Time Crash. Well, the Taj Mahal comment made up for it, I thought. Yeah. And, um, you know, the line about, oh, you'll enjoy this tea is taken from one of my best memories. Yeah, I can see what they mean with that line, but I also thought that line was just ever so slightly clunky as well. Do you know what they've done? I'm fairly sure, I may be wrong, but they've done the uh, using the process of thought for time travel and, and travel in general in Star Trek anyway. So if anyone wants to get scientific about it and look at Trek, because didn't Wesley end up going off travelling with some bloke who travelled by thought or something ridiculous? Wes- Wesley, I, you talk about I, Wesley no on the Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> Leave the room, man. Wesley Wesley yeah child genius most hated cat. he was the Jar Jar Binks of Star Trek the next yeah, generation he was wasn't Adric, he basically. wasn't as bad as or Adric. maybe he was um, Rattigan from uh, the Sontaran two-parter in series 4 is that what he was called Rattigan the Rattigan yeah. canopy yeah yeah it was yes alright moving swiftly along <laughs> um, just trying to think what else I mean there was plenty well I say there was plenty it was actually a an episode that was very short and story. I was going to say to you, yeah. JR, is um, the conversation we had on a previous podcast about the uh, about Stephen Moffat's inventions, the angels and what have you, and they're always an idea rather than something that has any kind of background. And you had the same thing with the Whispermen, didn't you? Well, what did you take from the Whispermen? I just thought they were there to get a job done. I exactly. didn't really think anything no, more I, of them. I did think that, but I thought they worked quite well. I thought they were visually quite interesting. I mean, they were obviously designed the way they did to look as good as they did in the graveyard. And it was, as yeah. you say, it was kind of a cosmetic thing as opposed to anything else. I did like and they the rhymes as well. The rhymes were great. Oh, oh yeah, there was that some... did my yeah. head in. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. What, what's I, wrong yeah, with that, yeah. Mark? Is that is that too clever for you? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> I didn't necessarily think they were all that clever. Sometimes Stephen Moffat's writing seems to be indicating that the audience should think he's more clever than he really actually is. Those rhymes were fairly simple. This is written for children. Can I just say that sentence? No, I'm not complaining. (laughs) Families, not children. Well, families, yeah. And actually, I thought the rhymes were quite well written. They weren't clever. They weren't clever, but they they were very well They did the job. They, they they were serviceable. They did the job. And then the kind of thing that I'm sure eight-year-olds can remember and go into the playground and sing to each other the next week at school. You can't beat, you can't beat a good creepy nursery rhyme. I got, that's what I say. Sapphire yeah. still did it well, and you can do it well in Doctor Who. So no problem at all. Uh, the one weird thing is the, you know, when he peels his... I love that moment when he peels his face off. Um, it was oh, yeah. a Scooby-Doo moment, wasn't it? He peels his... I'd have got away with it if I went for your damn kids. And he peels his face off, there's nothing there, and then he turns back into Richard E. Grant. What? Yeah, well, the nice thing in that right? sequence was not just the... What do you mean he peeled his face off and turned back into... Oh, you missed it. What? What? What did I miss? He didn't just peel his face yeah. off, he then peeled his entire costume yeah. off, and that Richard E. Grant was gone. Yeah. And then one of the Whisper Men turned into Richard E. Grant. Um, right. Still doesn't make sense, but I'll accept <laughs> it was all that. Quite Agent Smith from the Matrix, wasn't it? In that respect. What he, yes, what he was basically saying was all these animus, yeah. animi, are all the same person. It's just that the one with the Richard E. Grant face is the mouthpiece. And what he was saying was, if I, if you do, what he was saying was, if you do away with this body, 
the mouthpiece will just become this body. Yeah, uh, and and also that makes the point that the Whispermen is just a manifestation of great intelligence. So they don't necessarily yeah, exactly. have to serve a purpose, purpose as, as such. Just a. You should have just had the Yeti. The Yeti would have been all right. We did see a Yeti in the episode, but obviously, and, um, you know, it could have been Yeti. Maybe if the budgets were what they were back when Ross T. Davis was in charge, we'd have seen the Yeti. But obviously budgets were down and they were using the money elsewhere because in spite of the fact that they maybe looked a bit ropey, those sequences at the start must have cost a fortune to put together, which explains why, you know, for example, the Colin Baker is just put a skinny guy in a costume and have him walking past the back of the shot because, you know... I was convinced, actually. I thought it was very well done. I didn't at any point say, oh, God, there's a stuntman. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> and they repeated the shots again at the end of the episode. If they'd have had unlimited budgets and unlimited time, I'm sure we'd have seen Yeti instead of people dressed up in costumes from Sarah Jane Adventures. <laughs> and I'm sure we'd have seen any number of sequences with each of the Doctors, so that every time we come back to that sequence, it's not just the same shots again. Because I think that shot of Tom Baker, did we see it three times? Mm, yeah. yeah, I'm sure we'd have had three different shots of Tom Baker. Had they the budget? to do it but you know they did as much as they could and the fact that it was repeated through the episode oh my god I, you know back in the 1970s we'd have given our eye teeth for Doctor yeah. Who repeats can I just say that, that whoever it was playing Tom Baker in the uh, kind of the dream sequence at the end when you saw him stride across in front of her got his walk down to a T didn't he there was a bit there was a bit where he walked you saw the back of him and he, he just strode across with his the scarf trailing yeah. behind him, and it was just, oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I wonder who that was. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually Paul McGann who came in to do the body doubling. Oh, how cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure even the most jaded, whinging fan must have sat down and just watched that and just smiled from start to finish, surely. Oh, I, hope I, so. I, I, st- I started smiling, and then it didn't, and then I did. So, halfway there. Well, I... Um... Look, we've got a lot of emails to get through, and I think as a sort of parting thought on that episode, I liked it. I liked it a lot, but I did think, A, it didn't, it didn't do tension in the same way as something like, say, Caves of Androzani does, and it kind of felt a bit flat. It felt a bit like it was going somewhere very slowly, not because it was you know, building up the tension to get there, but just because it had 45 minutes to fill. Yeah. It came across to me like just one big epic event. Not a great yeah. deal of story to it, but no you know, story. enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah. If- yeah, very enjoyable. No story, one event stretched out across 45 minutes, and that was possibly just a little bit too far to stretch it. It did feel like a very enjoyable prologue. Hmm. So I'm going yeah, to so- up my score to eight. Yes, and I'm sticking with an eight because in as much as I liked it, you know, I watched it again this afternoon and I was hoping on the second viewing it would have improved in that respect and it didn't. And so I still have to stick with an eight. Mark? Yeah, likewise. I, You know, it's an enjoyable story. I'm sure I'll watch it again. It doesn't diminish with viewing, but yeah, it's not really enough to merit a a nine or a ten for me. I do think some people have taken the goodwill that was engendered by that cold open and have perhaps 
perhaps and i'm not i'm not saying this about simon who i'm just about to ask his score of after i finish this but i he mean is. in general in fandom i think a lot of people took the goodwill that the cold open engendered and therefore have allowed the rest of the episode to get away with slightly more than they ordinarily would have anyway simon are you still on a 10 I am absolutely. Um, <clears throat> it's like you coming along and saying, "Yeah, well, she's a girl, she's your girlfriend. I know you love her and that, but she's a bit of a twat." <laughs> I still love her. I still love it. It's a big ball of emotion, and from the moment the doctor sits down on that sofa, and it, a brilliant piece of acting from Mark, Matt Smith, you get the exact tone of what the story is about. About the doctor going to his own end, and going to a place where he shouldn't do and i just think the whole thing works it's just like a great big spicy gobstopper and and i know you say there's not much story to it but i just think it works and i think that doctor who is a long enough and a big enough thing that it can afford to have 45 minutes of spending a bit of time on emotion and 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 on something at the core of the program and and being fantastical about it being a imaginative coming up with all these ideas and and let's not forget that it's tied up the clara thing extremely well so oh, very very well so in fact i um, i i when as soon as they walked in and he said what that thing in the middle of the room was i knew exactly what was going to happen obviously happen. i think everybody did but prior to that i had no idea how the clara thing was going to tie up and i have to say i was very 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 pleasantly surprised my theory going into it was that because the TARDIS didn't like her, she might have had something to do with the TARDIS exploding in the Big Bang. Mm. And that splintered her through time, but it wasn't quite right. Well, it turned out the reason the TARDIS didn't like her was because she was going to be... the, Or because having met previous versions of her and knowing where she came from, the TARDIS mm. knew that in order for those things to happen, it would have to bring the Doctor here, and patently it didn't want to. That's well, why the, the TARDIS dies there as well. Mm. So that's why the TARDIS didn't want to go there. Um, mm. Did we have an email a few weeks, months back, saying this theory about Clara being splintered through time, a bit like the Jag- Jaggeroth? I'm sure. A lot, an awful lot of people uh, have been saying that, Lee, but yes, yeah, we did. Okay. I wasn't sure if whether we were the first people to mention it. <laughs> in no, the no, world. no. Oh, my God, Lee. What? You can tell you don't do the forums. Everybody's been saying that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't look at forums. Let me see. The point is, I think most people were expecting the great intelligence to splinter her and send her out there. But what happens was she, she's made a self-sacrifice, hasn't she? Yeah. And that's the brilliant thing. She herself chooses to sacrifice herself to go and save the Doctor everywhere and every when. I look at it as very high-end fan one act. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what the no, 50th anniversary more, be, no, should there's be. There's more to it than that. There is so much more to it than that. There was things were happening for a reason. I, I just don't. I, that that suggests that it was all written in order to just get the doctors on screen and to make it all. Um, <laughs> Tell Lee to stop with yeah. <laughs> that. Those things were happening in order to to make these things happen on the screen that are going to make all the fans go ooh. And I don't think I just think it worked, and that's my honest. It opinion. did work, yeah. But that's why it was ruined like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leading up to the, the celebration, yeah, I appreciate that. But it wasn't as transparent as that, and it wasn't as obvious as that. It certainly. I think in this 50th anniversary year, they can afford to do an episode like that. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that's what I say. It's been going long enough. Then yeah. why the hell not? 
You know, one thing that's amused me is the amount of people, and this wasn't a lot of people, but it was a number of very vocal people prior to all of this. You know, this is the opposite camp from the, oh, why haven't we got doctors in the anniversary? This is the, I don't want doctors in my anniversary. <laughs> and all these people have now had something. Well, let's not forget all the people who are going, oh, the series is doomed, it's going to end. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's it. It's... But these, uh, but the, I don't want doctors people have all had the long metal rod with the fisheye on the end stuck up their ass this week as well, haven't they? <laughs> That's an image I don't want in my mind. And yeah. I and say fisheye to them. And, and if you are one of those people, please write in. <laughs> oh, dear. I was waiting to get an email there. Yeah. yeah, speaking of which, let's go to emails then. Um, oh, God, there's so many. So I'm going to try and race through them. But we probably won't, so, you know, this podcast will just last as long as it lasts. From Doc Whom. And this was at the time of Nightmare in Silver, because obviously we didn't have a podcast last week, so we've got two weeks' worth of emails. Doc Whom says... Here's something which seems a little incongruous. A few days ago, I was listening to you on Nerdology hailing Kubrick for not following the accepted rules of film. Now I read you and hear you slating the lighting in Nightmare in Silver, not because it was incompetent or inappropriate to the mood, but because, tut tut, that's how they lit things in RTD's era. In other words, that sort of lighting is not the current fashion among the cognoscenti. Yeah, but I think I'd... Steve might be my favourite listener. <laughs> <laughs> Only because he has a go at me every time he emails in. Is that what you're saying? Okay, have you seen any pictures of of JR? <laughs> JR and fashion in the same sentence? Hey. I'm not saying any of us. <laughs> you're a very funny man. Thank you. I think, uh, I think he's taking me very literally when actually I was probably... Or maybe I just didn't say it out loud. But, but my point was... That lighting did not look good, did it? It didn't look good when RTD did it, and I didn't like to be reminded of it in Moffat Who, the look of which has come on in leaps and bounds since Russell T. Davis was in charge. Yeah, and I've got to agree with you, I'm afraid, on that one. And anyway, uh, Doc Whom carries on, and he's about to have another go at me about something else. <laughs> he says... I don't agree about the inside of the Doctor's head. All it was was a single backdrop. I saw it not as a look inside the Doctor's head, but as a stylized representation of the battle between the two halves. It's not like they wandered around saying, ooh, look, here's his temporal lobe, etc. <laughs> have, you, have you genuinely always thought that the one thing they mustn't show is the inside of the Doctor's head? Since when? Since, not reveal his name, since maybe? Enemy. Since the invisible <laughs> yeah. enemy. Yeah. Since the shrimp. Not reveal his name, maybe. Not set a story on Gallifrey, maybe. Not set a finite limit to the number of regenerations, certainly. But since when has any of what makes the Doctor amazing as a character been about the physical interior of his skull? Anyway, that boat sailed long ago with the Invisible Enemy. Anyway, as I'm sure you're all aware, and I think uh, Doc Hume probably is, and he's probably just being funny, but I wasn't talking about the physical interior. I was talking about the fact that, that we were mentally inside there. Uh, he says, Also, the new Cybermen were the most recent version. The old Cyber Cyberman was only a relic from the last war, which was empty until the Cybermites arrived. Because remember, we did ask, how did the old Cyber Cyberman turn yeah. into the new Cybermen? And I'm assuming that was still empty at the end, and the Cybermen we did see after that point weren't actually that Cyberman at all. Mm -hmm. That was just where the Cybermites were hiding, maybe. Um, 
I like this one. He says, you said last week that I was missing the fact that kids love the sonic screwdriver. Well, you're missing a simple fact about the history of Doctor Who. When the show was first proposed back in 1963, it was designed to be aimed solely at men in their mid-40s. It was purely by good luck that children also loved it. And now those kids want to take my show away from me? No. <laughs> Uh, finally, my vote for favourite Doctor Who James Bond title would be a story featuring 007's Vagina Dentanta, Neurosis, <laughs> and titled Pussy Galore of Doom. Oh, God. Alternatively, Pussy. <laughs> alternatively, Pussy Galore. Pussy Galore of Doom. Pussy. What, like a spot? Pussy. 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 Oh, Pussy, sorry. <laughs> it's the accident, mate. It's the accident. Pussy Galore. From Bond. <laughs> we thought you were saying pussy, as in the spot, you know. I also said ven- vagina dentata when I should have said vagina dentata, no, but that's what comes of reading in a hurry. The word pussy and vagina in the same sentence. Don't do it, please. <clears throat> um, Doctor Who Moving also on. suggests, as another possible James Bond Doctor Who theme off, um, roundels are forever. Oh, <laughs> there He's you go. gone all Shirley Bassey again. I've sung. I didn't sing last time. I should have. I'm sure people <laughs> sent all those um, ones in for us last time in the hope that we'd sing them, and we didn't. I think we've what let people down. Yeah, you do. What a real shame. Oh, Mark, you've got no soul. It's quite a nice idea, though, right? <laughs> you just work that out. Uh, funny enough, because I wasn't on that podcast, I listened to it today, and uh, the idea of recording a song specifically, or a theme song specifically for a, for a story, is a really good one. I'd rather, li- I'd rather listen to that than any of these, what are they called? Tro- is it Trog? Bands? Yeah, Troc. Troc. Is it Troc? Yeah, Troc. Time would rock or something. Sorry. Um, oh, sorry. I just, anyway, we've got I, another... I, I just disagree with Simon there. Some Trog is good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Trog or Troc? Troc. Troc. Oh, yeah. Look, we've still got another 15 emails. Uh, we've got another one from Steve uh, from Doc Whom. Oops, I've let a secret <laughs> out there. Never mind. Um... <laughs> um uh, which turned up a week later after the name of the Doctor. He says, very good, even if the Trends Law stuff was a bit too drawn out. Had completely forgotten about John Hurt, so that was a surprise. His great crime must surely be that he was the one who ended the Time War. Loved the glimpses of past Doctors. Not entirely moved by Clara's sacrifice, as we've barely known her that long, and the chemistry between her and Matt was never brilliant. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Oh, I don't know about that. I th- I'm hoping it's that... a bit patchy. I'll give it that. Yeah, I love her writing, and I love him. Mm, or the direction. It's, I mean, it's, sim- it's a simple fact they've only been together for a short time. That's all. If it had been like mm. two years, like Amy, you know, and it had happened, then it, yeah, it don't makes forget. more sense. We've only had Jen Louise for basically half a series or two thirds of a series, really. And as far as the story's concerned, don't forget the TARDIS opened up memories that she didn't have before so as far as she's concerned there's a lot more going on in her head than than you probably think so yeah anyway go richard hogarth again <laughs> uh richard hogarth uh just watched nightmare in silver and wanted to share some thoughts i really liked it nowhere near as good as the doctor's wife but that is a first viewing and this being such a strong season i can't wait to rewatch it to see how my opinion changes like with so many of moffat's episodes loved the new cybermen Hated the running. It was just in one scene and was wasted. And it, was it just me or did the Cybermen feel more like the Borg out of Star Trek? Yep. I have to say, Murray Gold's cyber theme added so much to this episode like he always does. 
Just wanted to say, also really enjoyed the romp that was the Crimson Horror. Diana Rigg was excellent and loved all the little flourishes like the retro effect to the flashback. Bring on the hate, he says. Obviously, he's talking to Lee. It's definitely one that gets better with repeat viewings. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, sorry, uh, can I just say that I disagree with you there? The um, the little flashback cinema thing was... He knows. Was, was, he uh, listens to the podcast in which you yeah, talked about yeah. it. It was crap. Uh, actually, um, Richard also sent a theory, because this was written before Saturday's episode, so he also sent a theory about how he thought... How he thought it might go, how the Clara thing might wrap up and the finale and everything. And although it's probably going to seem as if I'm bringing this up now to take the piss out of him, actually, I don't think it's a bad idea. And as with all these ideas, I think in Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who, I don't think just because you've got a finale, you can think of the story as being finished. So I'm bringing this email up in order to have read it out just in case any part of it should come true in the anniversary special or in series eight okay so he says i don't usually do this but i'll make an exception with all the theories about clara i don't usually listen or take note on such matters but i had a theory and to me it feels plausible so i had to share i think clara is the doctor first off what we have heard is that she has met the doctor before asylum many times and obviously we know the reason for this now. Mm. I took note of a comment JR said about Moffat and that he doesn't do the expected, so I thought of Let's Kill Hitler. In that, and in that episode, there is no killing of Hitler, just a remark. And so if he uses the title, the name of the Doctor, who said it's his name? Maybe it's Clara being him. Her appearance in the other stories would be because of the TARDIS blowing up in Series 5, creating a Logopolis situation, so instead of the Watcher, we get the next regeneration ahead of schedule. Jenner has signed on for another series, and we're not sure of Matt yet. Uh, there is more, but don't want to go on. Just wanted to add, love the podcast. You really are the highlight of my week, and keep up the great work. Now, patently, that didn't happen. And obviously, that's not going to happen. But it's a neat idea even though it was obviously the wrong one. And you never know with Stephen Moffat whether what you've just seen is the end to all of that or if it's going to turn out to be more. Um, thank you very much for the email, by the way. But, um, yeah. I, yeah, no, I don't I don't think so. I mean, Jenna Louise is great, and I do love her properly. And uh, Well, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because where did the last scene in The Name of the Doctor take place? Inside the Doctor, right? Mm hmm And who's inside the Doctor? You have the 11th Doctor, Matt Smith. You have the real 9th Doctor, John Hurt. And you have Clara. Now, I just thought, in light of what um, Richard said there, that that's interesting. Clara might not turn out to be a regeneration of the Doctor, but in a similar way to Donna being the Doctor, now that Clara's been inside the Doctor's mind and done every single thing he's ever done, she kind of also is the Doctor in a way as well, isn't she? Oh yeah, I get that point. Yeah. 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 So I'm not saying I'm not saying I brought his email up because I thought that might happen specifically as he said it, but because, you know, to a certain extent there was a little bit of truth in what he suggested and also given how Stephen Moffat runs these things you don't know if there might not be a little bit more truth in what he suggested as well by the time we get to the end of Clara and the 11th Doctor 
Very interesting uh, concept. Yes. Anyway, we've still got another God knows how many emails, so I'm going to whistle through them. Graham Boyd. Um, Oh, here's an interesting thought about Series 7B, or Part 2, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, we had the... um, We were going along talking about the references in the dialogue and the homages in the plots to the various different Doctors. He says, how about this? The episode that had to be rewritten that became Rings was originally the one that should have come in as Part 6 with the references to Colin Baker's Doctor. Then this Episode 7 with the Seventh Doctor reference. Taken as this, then what do you think were the references? So I'm guessing he's saying Nightmare in Silver should have been the Seventh Doctor story. Uh, it's too, ni- it's too than... nightmare fair to avoid. <laughs> yeah. He says, for me, it was Curse of Fenric. Not only does it all come down to a chess match, which the Doctor wins by cheating, but there is also a theme of people being taken over and changed by an ancient evil. Also, throwing a little Paradise Towers in its dilapidated tourist spot setting. But I think you're right, Lee. I think that comes down to Nightmare Fair as well. Plus, we did have as far as I'm aware, Seventh Doctor references this week in the name of the Doctor. Anybody like to say if they spotted anything? Are you trying to get me knocked down from a ten? <laughs> no. Oh, well, you may or may not. There was a reference, uh, I can't remember where it was, somebody pointed it out, a reference to Battlefield in the dialogue. Go on. Well, I just said somebody pointed it out and I can't remember where it was. Oh, right. okay. I can't remember what it was. That's why I'm asking you guys. I'm actually asking you guys. <laughs> no, I can't think. Oh, no. Well, maybe when we do our Revisiting Series 7 Part 2 episode, I'll track all these things down and list them and we'll read them out. I thought that um, this episode was supposed to um, have something about the Eighth Doctor, if we were going along the same lines as before. No? No, this would be the Seventh, right? Oh, Nightmare and Silver would be the Sixth. Oh, yeah. Name of the Doctor would be sorry, the Seventh. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, right. And... Um, Next, the anniversary special would be the eighth. I suppose what could be the seventh in the latest one is the uh, the clip of him hanging from his umbrella. Oh, uh, there were clips, clips of all of them, Simon. That doesn't yeah, count. What a clip! All the clips they could have used, they had to use that. <laughs> but you know, in a kind of way, that made me smile a lot because I thought they knew that's the worst cliffhanger in history, but they put it in anyway. Did they make the cliff look there bigger? Was... By the way. There was a Seventh Doctor story which centred around a journey into an impossible tomb within which was the body of a future incarnation of the Doctor. Yeah, it's called Would anybody like to name that story? Alien Bodies. No. No, a Seventh Doctor television story. Oh, really? Lee? Sorry, I thought you meant a book. Merlin's, uh, I don't know, it was Arthur's grave, so it wasn't a future incarnation of the Doctor. It was an impossible grave, and the story... Uh, reference to future incarnation of the Doctor Battlefield. Oh, right, didn't know that. Name of the Doctor homaged Battlefield. Okay. Anyway, um, I could go on about things like Matt Smith's Doctor impressions, but not to ramble on too much. I'll just finish by saying, "Sush, Jr." Can't believe I spelt that wrong. The new Cybermen look awesome. I really like the tricks they have, from spinny heads to cyber mites and even magic hands. You know, I'd like to see the Cybermen doing detached jazz hands. Can you imagine that? The Cyberman standing there looking really seriously at the camera with both his hands missing and then just doing jazz hands dancing in the air in front of him. Can I just say Simon was doing that as you were saying it? Uh, yeah, I was too. Um, 
Just like my gripes with Dalek, it is let down by directorial execution. Imagine that hand slipping off the wrist and climbing down the leg of the Cyberman like a robot spider, then sneaking up behind the soldier while the Cyberman keeps her distracted. And I completely agree with you, Graham. I think, uh, you know, that was just one of those expense things, isn't it? I just think maybe the reason why that hand bit was so crap was because they didn't have the money to do it properly. Uh, this is from Ganakas. Hello, Gary. Ah, you remembered. Gary Ackers. Uh, dear Southall gang. Oh, that's yeah, nice. They're like the Paternoster <laughs> gang. I take umbrage to that. <clears throat> um, I like to think of us as Menagerie uh, Southall. Ew, God. Okay, I should carry on. <laughs> on first viewing, I found the Crimson Horror more satisfying than any other episode in Series 7. Loved Rig and Sterling, the humour and the flashback sequence, which stylistically kept you in the Victorian mindset, Lee, and did not remove you from it. But was I'm most with you on that one, Gary. But, but was most impressed and pleased by the perfect pacing and especially the marvellous TARDIS departure scene. For once, a New Who story was not in service to the frantic progression of the plot. It had real room to breathe, with no needlessly complex plot or a need for rushed, incomplete or non-existent explanations shoehorned into the last five minutes. It was a perfect balance of character and action, allowing time for the audience to become invested in more than just the Doctor and Companion. When was the last time a story gave the Doctor time to reflect and have a quiet moment of true emotional resolution with a guest character for that particular story, as the Doctor has here with Ada, and then with the Paternoster, guest, with the Paternoster gang? It reminded me very much of the final scene of Black Orchid. By the way, I'm not counting the closing scenes in Hyde, since brand new story elements were introduced there, i.e. the true relationship between the astronaut and the psychic, and the real reason why the Doctor is there. As for Nightmare in Silver, it was by far the worst and most aggravating story of the Moffat era, making the rings of Akaten look like the caves of Androzani. I wasn't expecting great things just because Gaiman was writing. I was even underwhelmed by the next time trailer for this episode, but I didn't expect Gaiman's take on the Cybermen being to reduce them to carbon copies of the Borg, i.e. now third-generation copies of themselves. The Cybermen, for the first time, have a hive mind? What? the ability to instantly adapt to offensive weapons, as Simon pointed out, and then there's Matt Smith spazzing out as Locutus for an hour, whatever Locutus is, or Locutus. Presumably that's all from Star Trek. when he got ball-guised. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so shouldn't that be good, John Locutus? It was a really, okay. really good story, actually. Best of both worlds. Thoroughly recommend it. Yeah, could you, so could that's you tell like us a... all about the lighting as, uh, as well there, Simon, uh, if that's okay? Um, I'm also well over the Doctor's inconsistently written and now pervy attitude towards Clara, mulling, her about, mulling about her too tight skirt as a follow-on to grabbing and kissing Jenny last week. It's the most tiresome aspects of the Rose 10 relationship all over again. This is not Doctor Who, or at least not what it should be. I've seen a few people grumbling about that online. I have to say, I barely even noticed it. Not in as much as I noticed Gary using the word spazzing earlier in the email, for which I apologise to any listeners with sensitive ears. Um, as Sarah Jane said it best in The Hand of Fear, boy am I sick of that sonic screwdriver. Yeah. Season 7B, with the exception of Hide and the Crimson Horror, has been a huge disappointment, a collection of good tries but not quite. No matter what happens in the finale, Moffat's decision to make Clara's character centred on the mystery of who is she was a bad one. 
Dramatically, this foundational uncertainty about Clara's true nature prevents the audience from being really willing to engage with her character because they're not sure if they even should, i.e. is she a tool of the great intelligence? Is she even a real human or a TARDIS? This makes it hard to see her character as anything more than a manufactured intellectual mystery the Doctor must solve as opposed to an empathetic character to enjoy and want to spend time with. In contrast, Amy, Amelia and Rory were essentially born for the audience at the same time as the 11th Doctor, so we got a chance to see Amy, Amelia, Rory and the Doctor grow up together as best friends. It started to seem like an eternity since the Angels take Manhattan. Season 7B has shown that Amy and Rory really have cast a long shadow over the series. And that's from Gary Akers. Rhymes with Bakers. I said Akers, didn't I? I can't believe it. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Ganakers. Well, that's wrong. I can't say Ganakers anymore. <laughs> I have to say Ganakers now. I think, I think Gary makes a really valid point, which is that it'd be nice to have a normal companion next time. She was a normal companion. She was absolutely a normal companion, a normal human being, a normal girl. And I'll tell you what happened to her and why I prefer it. What happened to her is exactly what always happened to the companion at the end of every Russell T. Davis series. Rose turning into Bad Wolf, Donna turning into the Dr. Donna thing. Always at the end of a finale, there's a point where something magical mystical extra whatever you want to call it happens to the companion but what's happening with stephen moffat is that he's seeding that throughout the series so that in spite of the fact that she is absolutely just a normal girl and a normal companion you actually get the finale not as a deus ex machina but something that the series has been building up to for the entire time and i think that's wonderful and i will not hear a word said about it <laughs> <laughs> um okay uh, one request for clara next series is let's get her away from those kids please yeah but she can keep the skirt oh absolutely well yeah <laughs> and here's another one from uh, uh just a little postscript from ganakers um, JR, you said there weren't any six Doctor references in Nightmare in Silver, but I think the episode was an incredibly subtle homage to the entire Colin Baker era, it being, after all, a completely dire story that leaves absolutely no desire to ever rewatch it. Very clever, Mr. Moffat. <laughs> actually, I thought I had said... Did I not actually say that in the podcast? Do you know what, though? As, as Marmite an episode... Well, it wasn't even Marmite. Well, it was Marmite, because there are people who are absolutely raving about it. Yeah. Um some people very close to our podcast who absolutely loved it and uh, i wish i had their eyes to see it in that way but um you said you loved I it did, the I did, podcast when it, we talked the more about, you it. Thought about it the more flawed it becomes but i tell you what regardless of whether you think it's good or bad i don't think there's any other episode from this series that has had such extensive discussion since mm. oh, i don't know rings of akaten is going to run it pretty oh, close i, I, I thought think people either liked it or hated that and stopped talking about it i think but yeah i think simon's probably right i think nightmare and silver i don't know and also of course this week's episode is going to be talked about for the next six months but mm. for different reasons so maybe maybe he is right it has certainly caused a splash that episode um the right reverend captain holo poro says word up boys uh, just a quick note to declare the golden age of Doctor Who figures is over. The new three and a half inch figures are a bit poor looking. The Cyberman with its big mouth looks like a cheap stagnite sex doll. And yes, I thought the design, 
And yes, I thought the design from initial photos was great, and I did say sexy, but I never thought character options would take that as serious fan feedback. <laughs> the Doctor looks like Justin Bieber, and beautiful Clara seems to have had her head inflated. It makes her look like a larvid otter. The Ice Warrior... <laughs> The Ice Warrior, with his cheeky buffoon lumbering build, seems to have his roots in Bernard Breslau's carry-on past, and the Weeping Angel, another fat head and its slouching, is like a milliput custom by a keen amateur. <laughs> Come back, Gareth Hunt. Anyway, must get going, as I need to buy the new action figures. Ah, the pains of fandom. <laughs> Thanks, Reverend. On <clears throat> the subject of figures, have you seen the quote-unquote naked ice warrior figure well is here's something a post, we really don't need to here's see. a postscript from the right reverend he says and here's something to ponder i enjoyed the hitchcock-esque showing of bits of the unarmored ice warrior in the episode cold war however what do we think of the nude ice warrior finger figure it looks like a photoshopped gremlin because obviously <laughs> oh, what sort of fool would do that well was yeah well, well, Simon, what sort of fool would do a Photoshop <laughs> Gremlin? Question, do you know the remaking Gremlins? He's gone all shy. There's going to be a remake of Gremlins, isn't there? That's what I heard this week. Yes. There, I'm yes. not trying to change the subject. Yeah, and the actual CGI of the Gremlins will look exactly like the Ice Warriors. Very likely. But if they want to find out what the Ice Warriors look like, they won't go to the episode itself where you can't see them, but they will buy the three and a half inch tall toy. Which is, well, it's not a spoiler because the episode's gone out, but it's like they go to all this effort not to show you the thing in the episode to keep a little, a little bit of mystery about it. And then you find out with a crappy three and a half inch, got, high inch. It's got a little shrunken willy. That's what it looks like. The, oh, what the whole That's thing what the looks toy like looks like. Willy. It is cold. Anyway, uh, I think we're on to two more emails and then we're out. And they're both from Hollow Poro, so. He says, so is this right? In The Doctor's Wife, Idris says the Doctor didn't steal her. She chose the Doctor. So if Clara did indeed get him to swap TARDIS, TARDI, he says, actually TARDISes, because it's not a plural of a Latin word, it's a plural of an acronym, so it is therefore TARDISes, Mr. Porro. So if Clara did indeed get him to swap TARDISes, then that's why the TARDIS doesn't like her. You see Wibbly Wobbly. I can be Stephen Moppet as good as the next man. Oh, that, there you go. Oh, that's a brain freeze, isn't it? Yeah. So now, you see, now that um, Clara's got the first Doctor to swap TARDISes, the TARDIS has got Idris in it, is still on Gallifrey waiting to be stolen, and all of time has been rewritten. Can I just say, in that opening scene, very quickly, if if she did go up to William Hartnell's Doctor and say, oh, that one's knackered or something this, take this one he'd have just said uh, sorry young lady get away from me don't swear at me like this I'm going to take this one no one tells me what to do he wouldn't have listened to her would he would he would he well I think the point is <clears throat> that you have to take from that whole sequence Lee is that when yes, Clara turns up well, you obviously weren't paying attention, were you, Lee? I've seen it when once, Clara... sake, five days ago. Go on and tell me. Yes, but it was all there expressed verbally on screen. When Clara turns up in the Doctor's pasts, they don't always see her, but they take notice of her because she is actually in their consciousness. 
So therefore, she is behaving a little bit like a conscience, pointing them in the right directions. And when they do see her, I would say it would be my inference, therefore, that they would take double notice of her, as Matt Smith did at Christmas, and as William Hartnell would presumably be doing when he steals the TARDIS with the faulty directional circuits. Okay, I thought he'd seen her there, that's all. He did see her there. That's what I'm saying. She says, most of the doctors I didn't see. I just pushed them in the right direction. Mm. Every now and again, one of them might see me. And I'm just saying, well, that being the case, wouldn't he take even more notice of her? Well, he did, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't have a series, mm. would he? Exactly. Anyway, Mr. Hollow Porro carries on. I didn't spot the Eighth Doctor. Is this because Universal own him when he moves or something? And I didn't see Peter Cushing. What was this? No human, half-human Doctor's Night? I saw his slippers. I have seen someone Photoshop Peter Cushing onto uh, John Hurt's body on Tinternet. Yes, I saw that too. (coughs) Anyway, off to make a natural state TARDIS out of an old toilet roll tube for me. New three and a half inch figures are very apt. Yeah, no, there you go. I love that. I ah. love the TARDIS looking like that. Like I said before, that's exactly how I imagined them to be. So I'm happy with that. Mm. They're kind of cylindrical well, citrats. Well, you can see it on Blue Peter now, can't you? Well, an... And today we're going to be making a TARDIS, kids. What you do is you get a toilet roll, you take the paper off, you're done. Wasn't it? It was in one of the old <laughs> um, strips, one of the kind of secondary strips in Doctor Who Weekly where they showed a TARDIS that wasn't cloaked, didn't they? And, they, and it did look like one of the Sidrats from the War Games, I'm sure it did, but uh, no, I thought it was interesting. But yeah, it's been in the series, yes, the Sidrats from the War Games were TARDISes that had been adapted or something, or they were designed from TARDISes. Yeah, they were or, kind of cubic, weren't they, with kind of a weird door with a uh, fireman's pole down the side? Yeah. Sort of. yeah. Anyway, it looked great, it looked perfect absolutely functional and ugly with it and that's exactly how it should be because that's why you'd want to change it and keep it as something else final email one sentence <clears throat> if the doctor and this is hollow poral again hollow poro ah, it's been a long night it's been a long podcast if the doctor wants to keep his name a secret why is it in the big history of the time war book which has pride of place on a lectern in the tardis exactly once again more questions than answers exactly 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 well that's hollow i shan't say his real name even though i know it that's the reverend captain shall we say and thank you to everyone who takes the time to send emails because it's very much appreciated Yes, and I always forget to say that, so thank you for reminding, well, or saying it on my behalf, Lee and Mark, because I tend to not feel terribly grateful to the people who read the emails because I've got to read them out. Uh, because they Especially gen- Doc Yeah, they generally tend to be disagreeing with me. And <laughs> keep them rolling as in. You know, keep them coming in. I yeah, don't like keep it. Keep them coming. I don't think it's appropriate in this podcast for people to disagree with me, particularly people who aren't sitting here talking to me face to face. Isn't that just in general? Yes, absolutely. So (laughs) uh, I don't see why I should be happy to read out these emails disagreeing with me. Quite the opposite. What are you laughing at, Lee? Nothing at all. You carry on, Dad. Okay. Um... Oh, somebody called Weird Bean likes Blue Box Podcast. We've just had a notification. Hurrah, Weird Bean. Weird Bean, we like you. 
Because you have an excellent name. Especially if you disagree I'm with I'm looking JR. him up now. <laughs> oh, and his in, in, profile picture. the new Ice Warrior naked figure looks like a weird bean. <laughs> it looks like a shrunk... No. No. Ooh. No, let's not go there. Oh, he's got Yoda dressed as Santa and Morph dressed as a wizard reading the Beano. On his... That's weird bean, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I shouldn't be looking on our Facebook while we're trying to finish the podcast, but Christ, guys, I want to go. I want to get to bed. Can we go now? Yes, let's go, shall we? Okay, uh, that was a Blue Box podcast review of The Name of the Doctor. And our next podcast will be in six months' time when we talk about... (laughs) Oh, okay, just before we go then, anybody like to hazard a guess as to what the 50th anniversary episode might be called? Birthday surprise. <laughs> Do you reckon? No. Do maybe something like the odd doctors? If there's three and one of them's not really a doctor, that's an odd number and one of them's odd. Mm, I don't know. Boring guess, but Do twelve think... doctors. Well, I don't think so because not all twelve are gonna have an active part. Well that didn't happen. Which is what that was either, just... Or five. Maybe the twelfth doctor. What about the, the name of the death of the wife of the daughter's doctor's father, grandfather? No, the name of the death of the wife of the daughter's doctor. Yeah, that'll do. I like it. <laughs> that'll do it. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Is he going to have an alien burst out his chest? That's what I want to know. Um, yes, okay. Right, our next podcast will actually be, I do believe... Another podcast. All right, that's so, I'll see you in four weeks. Four weeks. How many podcasts are you doing? One. Oh, okay. And and then we'll be back in a fortnight, and then a week after that, something I'm calling live feedback. You'll have to wait and see what that is. Ooh. But I well, I just want to try a few new things out, not as an alternative. But just as a freshener. Sounds like Febreze. It does sound, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Bath cleaning. Look, this podcast has been going on for more than an hour and 20 minutes. We definitely need the Febreze. I do in this room anyway, because <laughs> I've got the door shut. Say the words, JR. Febreze. <laughs> no. But I was. Oh, I'm JR. I'm Lee. I'm Mark. There's no place like home. And um, I'll, uh, Mark and I will speak again soon, and you two will speak again slightly less soon after that, but still quite soon. Goodbye. (laughs)